Our sermon text this morning, as we're continuing through Paul's letter to the church in Rome, is Romans chapter 10, verses 13, or 14 rather, through the end of the chapter. I'm actually going to read verse 13, however, just to give us some context. Romans chapter 10, looking at verses 13 through 21, through the end of the chapter. Paul writes, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do ask you now that you would speak to us through your word, that you would show us once again the beauty of Christ, his mercy and his grace, that you would expose to us our need for him, to lean upon him as his people so that our faith might be strengthened. And if there are any who know you not, that you would break through the walls of unbelief and show them their need to call upon Christ for salvation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The last week we observed at the end of Romans 9 and the beginning, uh, the first half of Romans chapter 10, that the people of Israel historically have stumbled in unbelief when it comes to the gospel and the promise of God that he has in his covenant of grace that he would redeem a people for his name. And that unbelief has led to a general rejection of Christ, which lasts until this day. And while the people are full of zeal for God, it was a zeal with zero knowledge of God's righteousness and what it means to be made acceptable in God's sight. And so they tried to be made acceptable before God on their own terms, establishing their own righteousness instead of submitting to Christ. And if it were not for a faithful, believing remnant who did look to Jesus in faith and repentance for the forgiveness of all their sins and reconciliation back to God, then the people of Israel would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah, just a name written in history. But we know that unbelief is not just a Jewish problem. It's a global problem. 
As we, the church, continue to live in this time of the already, but the not yet, the already of God's promises being fulfilled in Christ while we await their final fulfillment that has not yet happened in Christ, we find ourselves surrounded by great unbelief. In fact, it's been the normal situation for most of the church throughout the world in the course of history. No longer do we live in an age where in this Western world that we live in, where the gospel and the church and the Christians were at least tolerated. Because now as we are trying to pilgrim through this life, living out our faith for the glory of God, it's not just that we live in a post-Christian culture, but we are living in one that is positively hostile towards those who hold to the historic faith, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it leads us as a church to ask a question, what are we supposed to do in the face of that kind of unbelief, a hostile unbelief? Are we supposed to hide To become a bubble in and of ourselves? I mean, we know that we are to advance God's kingdom by knowing Christ and making Him known. In fact, if you look at our mission statement at the front of your bulletin, you will see that that is the mission of Christ Church Ann Arbor, to know Christ and to make Christ known. But how are we to approach that God-given mission when there is so much unbelief and skepticism and outright hostility to the gospel? Well, many have said that the church must change, that it must change its message and how it preaches and what it preaches. It must change its worship, not taking its cue from God's Word, but from what people expect and want and demand uh, within the world. And sadly, many have, unfortunately, caved to those demands. But here in our text this morning, Paul challenges us as a church, as God's people, to not compromise on the gospel, to not bend our ministry and our methods and our mission around the demands of an unbelieving world that hates God and His truth. And so we learn here that God overcomes the unbelief of the world and fulfills his promise to call a people for his name through the preaching of the gospel. And there are three things here to declare that truth to us. The first is this. It is the priority of preaching is the responsibility of the whole church. The priority of preaching is the responsibility of the whole church. So we see this in verses 14 and 15. Again, Paul says, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So in the prior verse, verse 13, Paul gave us that wonderful news that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And here he shows us the process of bringing that calling about so that people would believe, so that God's salvation would come, that there would be a people of God in every tribe, tongue, and nation. 
So we know from Romans 9 that God ultimately is sovereign in the carrying out of that plan and the redemption of sinners. He will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. He will harden those whom he chooses to harden according to the good pleasure of his perfect, wise, and sovereign will. But God has also chosen to ordain the means by which he brings about that salvation in the world. And the primary means, Paul shows us here, is through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. People do not come to salvation through kind acts of love done for them, as good and important as those are. Nor do they, do, do they confess Jesus as Lord because they feel like it, they come to Christ through the proclaimed word of Christ. And there are four realities within these two verses that demonstrate the priority of preaching in the life of the church. We see them in those four rhetorical questions that Paul asks. The first truth is this, is that faith must come before calling. How will they who will call out to Christ to save them, how will they call out him in in whom they have not believed? Belief, of course, is trust and confidence. It is submission to the truth of who Jesus is, the Son of God who was made like us, born of a virgin yet without sin. He lived amongst us, died for us, rose to redeem us, is ascended now to reign over us so that we might be saved. And you cannot call out for salvation to someone you do not trust. You have to trust that's who Christ is and that's what he has done. And the reason that people turn to all sorts of other saviors instead of trusting in Jesus who actually can and will save them if they do call upon him from all their sin and all their sorrow and suffering The reason people don't do that is because they do not trust him. You see, faith in Jesus must relinquish and abandon all other sources of help to trust fully on him to save. Calvin put it like this. He said, he who calls on God betakes himself, as it were, to the only true haven of salvation and to a most secure refuge. He acts like a son who commits himself into the bosom of the best and the most loving of fathers that he may be protected by his care, cherished by his kindness and love, relieved by his bounty and supported by his power. Yes, faith must come before calling. Secondly, hearing must come before faith. How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard, asked the apostle. The word Paul uses here that is translated as hearing is used throughout the Bible in reference to hearing God's voice, a divine revelation of God. And it is more than just mere listening to that word of God. But it is to become aware of, of what is true, to hear it in such a way that you understand it in an intimate way and you want more of it, you want to pay attention to it, you believe it is true. You know, you can listen to music in the background while you're doing anything, while you're eating a meal or doing a chore or working out. But to really know a piece of music or to understand a song, you must hear it, not just listen to it. You have to hear the changes in the key 
and the movements and the rise and the fall of the phrases in a symphony and the, the subtle use of instrumentation. You have to hear in a good song the effects that go into place in that guitar as they work together and the engineering behind the recording. And to understand the lyrics of a, a well-written song, you must listen carefully to what they are communicating so as to apprehend the message and the meaning of them. That's the kind of hearing Paul is speaking of here. Hearing with knowledge, hearing with an understanding. And it is the understanding of truth that leads a person to fully commit to Christ so that they might call on him to save them. Hearing must come before faith. Third, preaching must come for there to be a hearing. How shall they hear, asked Paul, without someone preaching? The way one hears of Christ in ordinary circumstances is through the preaching of the gospel. The Bible firmly establishes that preaching is the, the primary means of making Christ known so that people might hear his voice and in hearing believe and in believing call on him to save them. You see, both the sinner needs preaching so that he might hear and believe and the saint needs preaching so that he might continue to hear and believe as their faith is strengthened. And that is why preaching is to be the centerpiece of worship in the church. It was with the apostles and it continued to be for centuries after until we hit about the Middle Ages when preaching lost its importance and the mass replaced the proclamation of God's word. And it buried the message of Christ. Now, during the Reformation, preaching once again took the preeminence in the life of the church. And the pulpit, which had been pushed off to the side of the church, was then moved to the center to show that the proclamation of God's word is primary in the worship of God's people. God uses the clear proclamation of his word to melt hearts to repentance. And it is through preaching that he unstops ears formerly closed to hear the melody of saving grace. It is through preaching that he lifts up the downcast soul to the very heights of heaven where, where weary ones can drink deeply from the river of life flowing from the throne of God. Preaching must come before hearing. And therefore, the fourth truth we see to show us this priority of preaching as being the responsibility of the whole church is this. Preachers must be sent. Verse 15, how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. To be sent means to be called by God through his church. You see, preachers don't get to decide all on their own to be preachers. You don't wake up one day and say, oh, I'll be a preacher. No, God must call them and gift them and give them that desire. And that calling isn't just a voice that they hear in their head, but it is a calling that is confirmed through the church that God has given this person this desire 
and these gifts to be able to proclaim his word. And it is in that sense that preaching truly isn't the work of one man, but the work and responsibility of the church as a whole. You see, your pastor is called by God through you, his people, to minister the word of God in preaching. And it is the church that ordains the preacher to serve Christ and his people. And so preaching, while being done by the elders that God gives a church, belongs to the church as a whole. If the church did not send out preachers to preach the gospel, there would be no preachers. So preachers must be sent. Faith must come before calling. Hearing must come before faith. Preachers must be sent. And when that happens, Paul says, it's a beautiful thing. And he quotes from Isaiah 52 to show us once again that God is fulfilling his covenant promises in Christ Jesus, which is evident when the church sends forth preachers to proclaim with haste the good news of God's salvation in Christ. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Isaiah 52 is a message of comfort to the people of Judah who were in Babylonian captivity. It is a prophecy of restoration to a time when God would commission preachers to come over the mountains and bring the good news that the long exile had ended and the people could return to Jerusalem, could return to the presence of God as his delivered people. And the mention of feet here signifies the, that sending of forth to herald the good news in a timely fashion. This is a thing of great beauty because nothing is more beautiful then God's fulfilled promises of peace and reconciliation. Unbelief is such an ugly thing because it means a person is, is still trapped in the darkness of their own sin and still under the condemnation, the holy condemnation of God for having transgressed His law. But the gospel that is preached is a promise of hope and reconciliation that restores the beauty and the dignity of a person as they return to a right relationship with God forever. The preacher's being sent is a beautiful thing. We must ask the question then, are we a beautiful church? Will Christ Church Ann Arbor proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ clearly and without compromise? Is the preaching of the gospel the, our priority as a local congregation of God's people? Well, it must be. It must be because there is no other hope for this world, for this community in which we live. There is no other hope for the hopeless. No other comfort for those wandering in the wastes of this fallen and corrupt world. And here in Ann Arbor, we are surrounded by so many other Gospels. We live in a world that prides itself on a message of self-indulgence as a path to peace. But the reality is that at the end of the day, the person that follows that finds they have no hope. It is only the message of Christ crucified, died, buried, risen, and ascended that brings hope to which hearts are longing and hungering for. So let us then endeavor to hold forth that gospel and to make its proclamation our priority as a church. 
No, not all of us will be the one preaching that message directly, but God is specific in who he calls to that task. But he also gifts us as a whole church to be the senders, the ones who aid and pray for and support the proclamation of that gospel both here in Ann Arbor and to the entire world because the priority of preaching is the responsibility of the entire church. Second thing we learn here that Paul shows us regarding preaching and how it overcomes the unbelief of this world is that the power of preaching The power of preaching is not in the act of itself, but it is in the word of Christ that is proclaimed. Verses 16 uh, through 17 show us this. So verse 16, Paul says, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. And Paul's point is to emphasize that just because the gospel is faithfully proclaimed, doesn't mean that everyone's going to hear it. After all, that is the sovereign work of God. And he, of course, has in mind here the theme that he's been addressing here in these three chapters in Romans, in the middle of Romans uh, 9, 10, and 11, the unbelief of the people of Israel. These words, who has believed uh, what he has heard from us, who has believed our report, those come from Isaiah 53. And Paul is anticipating the fact that, that many people of Israel would reject the message of Christ. Isaiah understood that for sure. He was well acquainted with preaching to a people who were hardened in their unbelief. When God called Isaiah to be a prophet, and you can read this in Isaiah 6, God says to him, go, say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. In other words, Isaiah's ministry of preaching God's word to his people would not result in faith and repentance and a turning to God. They would not bring about a great revival, but they would further uh, serve to harden the hearts of the people in unbelief as a form of God's judgment upon them. And so that's, that's a hard task, a hard commission. And Isaiah asked the Lord, he says, well, okay, I'll do that. How long am I to do this? Because at some point, you're going you're gonna to work, right? People are going to come to faith. How long am I to do this? And God says to Isaiah, he says, until the cities lie in waste without inhabitants and the houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like an awful job to go about. That sounds incredibly discouraging. I mean, who would want to preach to a people who will not hear and to do it until they are absolutely destroyed because of their sin? Well, Isaiah did. He was faithful in his calling. He was faithful because he knew that despite that general unbelief, There is also the promise that some of Israel would believe, for God would preserve a remnant. And that believing remnant will always find their Savior through his voice as it is proclaimed through the preaching of the gospel. God would expand the people of God, not just to be amongst the Jews, but to be amongst all the nations as he calls people to himself. And what we learn in that is that, of course, just because the gospel is preached doesn't mean 
all will hear it. Unbelief does persist, but many will be overcome through the grace of God to trust and to believe and to call. Because that hearing of God, it is a divine work of God upon the hearts of the unbeliever. God must be the one to unstop ears that are stopped if any are to believe the gospel of grace. And it is that truth where we find the power of preaching. You see, the power of Christ is what overcomes the unbelief of the heart. So we get that wonderful statement in verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through The Word of Christ. It is the Word of Christ that brings about faith in the heart which turns and calls to Him for salvation. You see, when your pastors would preach the gospel, it is not their word that affects your soul and your heart and your mind. It is the Word of Christ and His Word alone. And so when we stand before you, so long as we are faithful to proclaim the gospel, it is as if Christ himself is standing before you, proclaiming to you his truth to minister to your soul once again the grace that is yours in him. God's word never brings to itself void Why? Because Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit of the joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God will have for himself a people for his name. And it is his powerful word proclaimed, the word of Christ that will bring that people into existence. The power of preaching is the word of Christ. And so what does that mean for us as a church? When we know that the priority of preaching calls for us to be a beautiful church, and the power of preaching, which is the word of Christ, calls for us then to be a faithful church. Will we be faithful to this simple thing this simple ministry of the proclamation of the gospel. While they have their place, it is not Sunday school or small groups or community service that brings unbelievers into the kingdom of Christ. Nor is it social justice or political activism or social media that influences this world and builds his kingdom. But it is the word of of Christ faithfully proclaimed the gospel faithfully preached and so if i or any other pastor god would give you in the life of Christ Church Ann Arbor dares to preach to you anything other than the clear gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ remove them from that pulpit with haste because a church without the power of Christ's word is a church that will soon fade away. What is a church? But it is where the gospel is rightly proclaimed and where the sacraments are rightly administered and where the discipline is rightly administered and followed. I mean, you could fill pews with all sorts of peaceful platitudes and therapeutic appeals and pragmatic programs and exciting gimmicks. 
but you can only transform and change lives and redeem souls, pulling people from the fire of hell and the judgment of God through the faithful proclamation of the word of Christ. And so the priority of preaching is the responsibility of church. The power of preaching is the word of Christ. And finally, in closing, the purpose of preaching is the fulfillment of God's compassionate covenant promises. The purpose of preaching is the fulfillment of God's compassionate covenant promises. We see this in verses 18 through 21, which is saturated with quotation after quotation from the Old Testament. And Paul's intention with that is to show that the ultimate purpose of gospel preaching, the ultimate goal of God in all of salvation history is to have a people for his name who know him and who he knows forever, who enjoy him, who glorify him, and worship him forever. That is the primary promise of God's covenant of grace. And it is a promise that he brings through the church's work of proclaiming the gospel. You see, God promises to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. You see that in verse 18. He says, I ask, have they not heard? Speaking of Israel, indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. That is from Psalm 19. What is taking place in Psalm 19? Well, that is where David declares that the heavens and the earth, all of creation, declares the glory of God throughout all the earth. It's a reference to the general revelation of God in creation, to proclaim his glory. Now, Paul isn't saying that natural revelation is enough to bring a person to saving knowledge of Christ because he's shown us back in Romans 1 that that is not the case. Creation reveals God's power and it reveals his authority as creator, but it doesn't show a person how to be made right with him. For that, we need his special revelation, the word of Christ, the gospel, And that is why it must be preached. So what Paul is saying here is that just as God's glory has spread through all the earth in his creation, so now the gospel has spread through all the earth through the preached word. And that is exactly a fulfillment of God's covenant promise to save a people for his name amongst all the peoples of the earth. That's why Jesus said to his disciples after his resurrection, go therefore and what do what? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now to further show that God is fulfilling his purpose his covenant promises through the preached word of Christ. Paul brings in two Old Testament witnesses to show this. The first is Moses in verse 19, which is a citation from Deuteronomy 32, which is known as the Song of Moses. And in that song, Moses portrayed a day when Israel, having broken covenant with God and rejected his law and his mercy, is stirred to jealousy because they see God's grace falling upon a people who were once not God's people. In other words, God's promise to redeem a people from all the nations of the earth would be fulfilled. 
And then the second witness to which Paul goes to to prove this is Isaiah once again. And we see that in verses 20 through 21. Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. And the theme there that we see is that God is patient. He is long-suffering. He is full of compassion, seeking those whom did not seek him. And there's this picture of God holding out his hands, saying, come, come to me. It is a picture of God's loving kindness. God is pleading and calling out to people who disobey him, who have broken his law, who are hostile to his ways. And he is patient even though they despise him. He doesn't immediately bring his judgment to bear upon the ungodly, but he waits And the overtures of His grace are made again and again and again through the preaching of the cross. And He saves all who hear. And in hearing, believe. And in believing, call to Him. That's the purpose of preaching. To be God's means of fulfilling His compassionate promise to save people from all their sins. Which again leads us as a church to ask the question, who are we? Are we a compassionate church? Do we long to show forth the love of Christ who stretches forth His arms of mercy through the proclamation of His Word? Or will we be focused on other priorities and other purposes? The priority of preaching is the responsibility of the whole church. So let us be then a beautiful church that brings the good tidings of Christ, sending forth the gospel here where we live and to the uttermost parts of the world. And the power of preaching is the word of Christ. So let us then be faithful to that word and nothing else, neither looking to the right nor to the left, but be committed to the clear, clear proclamation of Jesus as the only hope for the world. And the purpose of preaching is the fulfillment of God's compassionate covenant promises. And so let us be a compassionate church in announcing to Ann Arbor and to the world the love of Jesus who came to save sinners for himself, sinners like us, so that we might be made whole in him so that all of our shame and sorrow can be washed away through the blood of Christ, the Lamb who was slain and is now risen. And by being that beautiful and faithful and compassionate people of God, as evidenced by our commitment to the proclamation of the gospel, we will witness God overcome the unbelief that we see in this world around us. We will watch Him build His kingdom. Because that is God's ordained means to build that kingdom. And so let us not hide who we are or be distracted by other things that we might do in this place that we call home, as good as they may be. But let us, with a renewed zeal, a renewed commitment, push forward for King Jesus, knowing that faith 
Faith in Christ, faith that calls out to Him for salvation, comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we ask now that you would be with us, that you would impress upon us these words, this truth of our responsibility to see the gospel proclaimed here and abroad for the sake of your name. Help us to be a beautiful church, one that reflects all that is Christ to a world that is in need. Help us to be a faithful church, not to be distracted by other things we could do, but to be committed to this one great priority of proclaiming Jesus to the nations. And help us to be a compassionate church that loves the lost and the dying, that loves those who hate us so much so that we are willing to continue to call out to them, come, come to Christ, come, repent and believe, come and know what it is to be forgiven of all your sins. Father, we ask that you would empower us for this great mission in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.